First reading is uh, taken from Philippians chapter 2, first 11 verses. If you're following it in the Church Bible, it's 1179. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading is taken from Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28, which can be found on page 988 of the Church Bibles. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favour of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. 
just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Let's just bow our heads for a prayer. Lord, thank you for your word, which is truth and life. Please come by your spirit and help me to speak and give us all ears to hear what you want to say to us today. For your glory. Amen. When our daughter was eight or nine years old, she had a pony called Cracker, and she became quite a good rider. And so Kirsty and I started to encourage her to go along to pony club events, and she could enter into jumping competitions and, and things like that. And we would stand at the fence, and we would shout instructions at her and encourage her from the sidelines. But although she did quite well on a few occasions... To be honest, her heart really wasn't in it. And to be honest, nor was it in the, the, the heart wasn't in the pony either, who often stopped dead in front of the jumps, sometimes depositing Kylie right on top of the jump. You see, Kylie loved that pony. She loved being out in the forest, riding it for miles, enjoying the freedom, feeling the wind on her face. She loved caring for the pony back at the stable making its bed, feeding it, grooming it. She loved all of that. But she didn't really enjoy getting dressed up and going along to events and competing against people in an enclosed show ring. But we probably put her under quite a lot of pressure ourselves in order to get our desires met through her. We wanted to see Kylie the Pony Club champion, but she didn't want to be that person. We clearly hadn't been to any good parenting classes. And it's a familiar story, isn't it, with parents on the sidelines of football fields who always think the coach should play their child instead of the one who's taken their place, or they should be in goal, or they should be captain, or whatever it is, that they should be in the best part in the school play. Too many of us parents try to live out the things we would have liked to have done and probably never did through our children. It's a case of misplaced ambition. It's a form of pride, actually. And there's a case of misplaced ambition at the start of our gospel account, which is the next in our sermon series of conversations that Jesus had with people that give us some more clues as to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because we're told that the mother of Zebedee's sons, who incidentally are James and John, two of the twelve apostles, their mother comes to Jesus and asks him a favour. And Jesus says, what do you want? And the mother's reply is this. She says, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now we need to understand what it is that she's asking She and presumably her sons believe that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Because this is only just before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem in the weeks before he was crucified. Peter had long since declared 
in front of the other disciples that Jesus was the Messiah. And if Jesus is the Messiah, then they believe he will soon sit on the throne and rule. And that those on his right and his left will be his two closest lieutenants. The strange thing about it is this, is that just before this passage, Jesus has just told them about his impending crucifixion. And they've just ignored what he said. It's like it went straight over their heads. But what about the mother's motives? It's not entirely clear what they were. Was she concerned for her sons to get into the kingdom of God? Was she concerned for herself? She thought that if her sons were in good positions, then she'd be okay. Was she looking for status as the mother of the two closest followers to Jesus? Or, and I think this is the most likely, did the sons, in fact, put her up to it? You can just picture it, can't you? Go on, mum, go on, go and ask him. Go on, mum, you know, you're older than us. We're scared, but you could ask him. Go and ask him. And so they push her forward. And I think it's quite likely because we quite soon discover that actually the sons were present when she asked Jesus for that favour. Either way, though, it's misplaced ambition. And it opens up for us a window on the whole world of seeking after power. As one commentator points out, young politicians often try to guess who's going to be powerful in the future, and so they align themselves with that person in the hope that they will be handsomely rewarded later for their early loyalty to them. But actually, that's cheap loyalty, isn't it? It's not born of conviction. It's an attempt at a shortcut to positions of power. And that's the level that these two disciples and their mother are working at. But Jesus won't have it. You don't know what you're asking, he says. And then he asks them a strange question. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And the funny thing is that they both say, yes, we can. Still not realising what he's saying. So what did he mean? What does that cup refer to? Well, there are two great Old Testament prophets who give us some insight on this. Isaiah writes in chapter 51, verse 17, Awake, awake, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. In other words, his anger. And again in verse 22, that cup, the goblet of my wrath. And Jeremiah says something similar in chapter 25, verse 15 onwards. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup, filled with the wine of my wrath. And so this is picture language for God's holy anger at the wickedness of the world, being turned into a dark, bitter wine, poured into a cup which the wicked will be made to drink from and which will leave them drunk and helpless. And the shock of this passage is that Jesus is speaking about drinking from that cup himself. Not many weeks from now, on his knees sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus will even ask for that cup to be taken from him. How could Jesus 
the perfect, sinless Son of God, be, subject, be the subject of his heavenly Father's holy anger? Well, only if he were to take on himself all of the pride, the misplaced ambition, the sin of the world, your sin and my sin, and pay the price for us. And that's what he did. In verse 28 of this gospel reading, Jesus says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this conversation is so rich in misunderstandings. Jesus tells him in verse 23, You will indeed drink from this cup, from my cup. By which he means that the disciples will go the way of the cross, even though they don't realise it. Acts 12.2 tells us that James was subsequently to be executed by King Herod, put to death by the sword. And tradition has it that all 12 apostles were martyred for being followers of Jesus. In that sense, they would all drink from the same cup. There were many young men, weren't there, who signed up to do their patriotic duty for king and country in the First World War without having the faintest idea what they would face in the trenches. I think this is a similar moment. And then in a very human scene, the other ten disciples get to hear the request by James and John and his mother, and verse 24 tells us that they were pretty unhappy about it. In fact, they are indignant rather than simply amused by it. I think that reveals that their hearts were actually a little different to James and John. Probably they wished that they'd got the request in first. And we often demand things in life that perhaps we don't deserve. I know I have. When we do that, it often ends in tears. When I went for a big promotion in my business life, which, which I won, I was given, I subsequently fell out with the company over how much money they were prepared to pay me to do the job. And it led to my being sacked after 18 years in the company. Of course, God often uses such apparent disasters for good. And as a result of my newfound free time, I was able to attend an Alpha course and came to faith two months later, put my faith in Jesus. Incidentally, our new Alpha course started up this last week on Tuesday evening at the Grange Cafe and 21 people walked in through the door. Isn't that exciting? Fantastic. And it's not too late for anyone else to join the course if you'd like to or if you'd like to invite family, friends, neighbours, colleagues to come along because this first week we've just had was the introduction. Um, This week coming is the sort of first week proper of the teaching. Isn't God good? But even as Christians, like James and John, we often demand things from God which we feel are our right, and when we don't get what we want, we blame him, and our relationship with him is damaged. When the fact is that in truth, everything we have comes from God. Misplaced pride, misplaced ambition are often the cause of broken relationships. And as the disciples begin to fall out with each other, Jesus calls them together 
and explains how his kingdom really works. Verses 25 to 27, he tells them that while earthly leaders lord it over others and exercise power over them, in his kingdom, servanthood is the way to greatness, just as Jesus had come to serve humanity and give his life as a ransom for many. So, if the disciples had trouble understanding what Jesus was telling them person to person, did the early New Testament church understand what following Jesus meant? And do we understand today what this means for us? Paul's letter to the Philippians, specifically the passage from that letter that we heard read earlier, is an extraordinary testament to the way, at the very least, Paul the Apostle had embraced this teaching and was spreading it to the early church through his letters. Paul is writing to the Philippians and is absolutely determined that they should remain united, living in harmony, loving one another and living out the gospel. And in many ways, in verses 1 to 5 of that passage, he could have been speaking to those two apostles, James and John. In verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. How are we to do this? Paul says in verse 5, that in our relationships with one another, we should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? How on earth do we have the same mindset as Christ Jesus? He tells us, by focusing on who Jesus is and what he's done. Even though he was God, he humbled himself and became a man. Even though he was God, he took the very nature of a servant. Even though he was the son of God, he humbled himself and died a shameful death on a cross in obedience to his heavenly father. And because of that, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name. And these are not just idle words. Jesus is the central figure in human history. His name towers above every other name in history. And one day, we read, everyone will acknowledge him. When we stand before him at the end of time, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Paul urges his readers, which includes you and me, to follow this way of Jesus, to put down our misplaced ambitions, to crucify our pride, to think of others more than ourselves. Joe used it, and I'll use it again. I love that quote from C.S. Lewis that's on the screen there, that humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's not about putting yourself down or groveling on the floor. Not a bit of it. But it's just about thinking of ourselves less and more of others. Whose names do you think will live on in history? Here's a few. Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King. Of course, some tyrants will never be forgotten for good reasons, but the list of great names is headed by the humble, the sacrificial, 
those who gave their lives as a ransom for many. Mother Teresa never aspired to be famous. She instead followed Jesus into the ghettos of Calcutta. Nelson Mandela followed Jesus into the ghettos of Soweto and the prison cells of Robben Island. Martin Luther King followed Jesus into the violent persecution of the black freedom movement in America. They lived and gave their lives, not thinking of themselves, but of others, the poor, the oppressed, the persecuted, the rejected. Now, we are unlikely to become as well-known as those people. But what might it mean for us in 21st century Reading to follow Jesus in the way of the cross, to drink from his cup? For whom might we give our lives as a ransom for many? Might we ransom a child who needs fostering? Might we ransom a lonely elderly person who needs visiting? Might we risk a rejection by inviting someone to church? Might we use our spiritual gifts to bring healing or comfort or a word of knowledge to another believer? Might we give up a few Tuesday evenings to bring a friend along to the Alpha Course to hear the good news of the Gospel? Might we make a spare room available to someone who needs one? And so it goes on. The Christian life is exciting because Jesus is so challenging. He seriously challenged James and John and he's still seriously challenging us today. How will we respond to the God of self-giving love who in Jesus laid down his life for us? Who by the power of his resurrection brings us the hope of eternal life and who calls us to follow him in the way of the cross and to drink from his cup. What is God saying to you today, right now? Let's pray. Lord, We thank you for Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Show us today, Lord, what it means for each one of us to follow you in the way of the cross, to drink from your cup, to humble ourselves and be obedient to your call on our lives. For your glory and in your name, the name that is above every name, We pray. Amen.